right. Good evening. How are you all? It's good to see y'all. It is. And those who are watching on my Facebook feed, it's great to see you all this evening at Bible study. I am excited, as always, to be here with you all. We're going to another book. And this is the book of Judges. We, we finished um, Joshua two weeks ago and now we're going to the book of Judges. One thing I encourage you all to do is read ahead. <laughs> you know, um, and I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we're reading through the book of Matthew. Uh, those who are reading with me, we got the eighth chapter, and I think I sent out. I don't know if y'all saw the little post that I put in our group chat today, this morning, about Matthew, the eighth chapter, um, where Jesus, uh, he healed a man with leprosy, he calmed the sea, and he cast out the demons. Those things I recorded in the chapter, and I talked about how. Do y'all still get the group chat stuff? Okay, we want to make sure. But I was talking about how that shows Jesus is sovereign over uh, our health and uh, sick health, sickness, health and sickness. He's sovereign over creation by calming the seed. I was showing his sovereignty over creation and then casting those demons out of the demoniac into the pigs. That's showing his sovereignty over uh, demons, over the devil, and over demonic forces. That's what that chapter 8 is about so you know as we read those scriptures and pray and ask God to uh, illuminate them to us he he uh, he does that so then reading our Bible study chapters each week it's just a, a way of just practicing regularly reading the Bible that's why I, I try to do the monthly things we took a break from August September and October um, but we were trying to encourage regular Bible reading uh, it's, just, it's just good a chapter a day you know can't do two or three at least do one chapter a day you know we send the service details out and one thing I encourage everybody to do is just read the scriptures that we're going to be going over like we're going to be doing Psalm 30 responsive reading kind of read that ahead of time the scripture passage for Sunday I think verses 18 through 20 just you know read that ahead of time the call to worship read those scriptures you know just kind of reading ahead and and all those things praying ahead as I always say those are just good ways for us to grow as 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 believers uh, and to have you know more knowledge and affection for God so uh, just want to encourage us to continue to do that so with Bible study we know where we're going to be every week we, uh, we try to do a chapter uh, every Wednesday sometimes we don't even get through the whole chapter which is fine um, but just encouraging regular study and, and um, regular Bible reading. So I just want to put it, out, put it out there. And I appreciate those who watch online, who are not able to make it. And like I said, I invite other people to watch us also. And also those who are here. So, the book of Judges. The book of Judges... Uh, takes place over an approximately 350 to 360 year span 
in Israel's history. So these events over these next uh, 21 chapters span about 350 to 360 years of, or 340 some say, uh, years of uh, Israel's history as a nation. And it comes on the heels, of course, of the book of Joshua, where uh, Israel, all the tribes had received their allotment of land. And of course, you know, the command that God gave them was to possess the land. Possess meaning to dispossess all of the Canaanites in those tribes. And if you read ahead of chapter one, you'll see where some tribes did and then some tribes didn't. Uh, and, and the consequences of that we're going to see throughout the rest of this book. In fact, chapter 2 that we're going to look at next week is going to uh, see that. So Judges is like a, it's a tragic sequel to Joshua. Okay, because in Joshua, the people were obedient to God. You know, to, and going in and conquering uh, the land. But in Judges, they were disobedient. Okay, they were idolatrous and they were defeated off. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see apostasy take place. We're going to see them going to spiritual decline, intermarrying with the with the Canaanites, not heeding the judges, turning away from God. Now, Israel didn't have a leader like uh, they did with Joshua and then before that Moses they didn't have like this one spiritual leader so these are things that we're going to see as we go through this uh, book so let's pray and then we're going to go into this chapter Lord thank you for your word thank you for blessing us to go through these books of the Bible looking and uh, looking at, at them in context studying them in context and seeing your redemptive history uh, take place with your covenant people Israel and the implications for us so father I ask that you fill me with your spirit to teach this text well to teach to your glory and Lord I pray that you send the spirit to illuminate your truth to us let us not just be hearers of your word Lord but also doers of the words that we hear tonight bread of heaven feed us and may we be satisfied in Christ's name amen so let's look at the opening of this chapter this is Judges chapter 1 we're going to look at victory and defeat in the promised land so it says here in the opening verses now after the death of Joshua it came to pass that the children of Israel were at, uh, asked the Lord saying what I'm sorry who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them and the Lord said Judah rather shall go up indeed I have delivered the land into his hand so Judah said to Simeon his brother come and go with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I will likewise go with you and uh, to your allotted territory and Simeon went with him then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek 
And they found Adonai, Bezek, and Bezek, and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites, so forth and so on. Okay? Verse 8. The children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Um, at this time, Jerusalem wasn't the capital of Israel just yet. Okay? It was going to be, but at this point, not just yet. Verse 9, afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron and they killed Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai. From there they went up against the inhabitants of Debir. And then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjah the Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Achash as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him to his daughter Achish as his wife. Now this was his uh, what first cousin, okay? Because he was the son of no, it was his nephew. He was the son of his brother. So this was his nephew that took his basically first cousin as his wife. You know, back then they uh, they did that. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field and she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her uh, what do you wish? So she said to him give me a blessing since you have given me the land in the south. Give me also springs of water and Caleb gave her upper springs and lower springs. And then the children of the Canaanite, Moses' father-in-law went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah and to the wilderness of Judah which lies in the south near Arad and they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother, Simeon, attacked the Canaanites. Okay? And then verse 18, Judah took Gaza with his territory. Verse 19, the Lord was with Judah. Verse 20, they gave heaven to Caleb, as Moses had said. Now, look at verse 21. But, so all this good stuff is taking place. All these victories are taking place. And now you see the word but. So you know, that means something bad is about to be read. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt in the, uh, with the children of Benjamin in Israel to this day. Always keep in mind, just like I said in the book of Joshua, when you see where it says they did not drive all the inhabitants out, that's not good and it's going to play later through the rest of Israel's history especially in the Old Testament. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play out for the next thousands of years, thousands of years or so of Israel's history by them not driving out the inhabitants in this book. Remember, these, the events in this book took place over 350 years. So you got years after that because in the book of First, Second Samuel, they were still going to war against the Canaanites and the Philistines. Okay. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine. They didn't destroy all the Philistines. So David had to deal with the Philistines. Uh, Saul was sent to defeat the Amalekites. So they still dealt with these nations years later in their history. Because they didn't do it here in this book. Then the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel. And the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. 
And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said, please show us the entrance to the city and we will show mercy. Now, this man, now Bethel at this time was under pagan rule. So when the spies came to the city, they saw a man coming out of Bethel. In verse 25, so he showed them the entrance to the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites. Hittites were the pagans. Built a city and called it Luz, which is his name to this day. So we see the victories taking place and we see one tribe that doesn't do their job. So back to the beginning of this chapter. After the death of Joshua, Israel did not have a office of natural uh, leadership. They had no king. No president, you know, no prime minister. Their ruler and their leader was God. Now, Joshua and Moses were inter intercessors uh, between, intermediaries between uh, Israel and Yahweh. Okay? They were the intercessors, the intermediaries, the mediators. Okay? Uh, God told Joshua what to do, and Joshua did it. God told Moses what to do. Moses did it but now Joshua's dead so who do they have to lead them God God is their leader Yahweh okay so these you know most times a, a, a leader would rise up and do their job and do their part but this did not happen here now God does give wonderful human leaders to do his work on the earth he does do that. God doesn't need human leaders, but God does appoint human leaders, leaders just as he did with Israel. He chose Moses, and then he chose Joshua. And I'm sure that Israel probably missed the leadership of Joshua. I'm sure they probably missed it. But in this case, they had God as their leader. So, Israel was surrounded by great obstacles. They were surrounded by people who lived the most terrible, immoral lives and idolatrous lives. They were surrounded by the worst pagans you could ever know. So they had this influence around them. So these were probably confusing times for Israel with no leader, no natural leader. They were probably fearful, some of them, because they didn't have Joshua. Now, we see, we're going to see in this book as we go through the sinfulness of man, the sinfulness of the human heart. But we're also, also going to learn about the greatness of God in this book. So we're going to see disobedience, we're going to see disaster on man's end. But we're also going to see God's continued direction and deliverance. So those are some things that we're going to see. So the children of Israel asked the Lord, as it says here in the beginning, they consulted the Lord. They can consult Joshua. They called on a renewed trust in the Lord, and then the Lord told them what to do. They sought the Lord, and he guided them. He told them what to do. 
He says, Judah shall go up. So God directed the tribe of Judah. Now, what's so significant about this? Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. The Messiah came from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was like the warrior tribe. So Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Judah was going to lead these people. They were going to lead in this fight. Also, Judah was the largest and the strongest tribe. Okay? So, the strongest and the largest tribe was going to lead the battle. So, Judah went to his brother. So, the leaders of the tribe of Judah and partnered with one of the other tribes. So, when it said that he asked his brother Simeon. He's talking about the leaders of that tribe. So you had the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Simeon. So they were going to function as a body. And this is the way God wants the church to function. He wants the church to function as, as a body with each part of the body helping out the other parts of the body. Because Judah could not go alone in conquesting the land. They needed help. So this is a picture of how the church is supposed to work. You know, we were talking about this in the book of Ephesians, that we are one body in Christ and we help each other. We we build each other up as believers. We don't tear each other down. We encourage each other. We work with each other. That's what we do as believers. That's what we do in the church. And this is a picture of that. Because the tribes of Judah and Simeon were blood brothers. We see this in Genesis uh, 29. It says here in Genesis 29, verse 33 through 35. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attracted to me because I have borne him three sons therefore his name is called Levi and she conceived again and bore a son now I praise the Lord therefore she called his name Judah then she stopped childbearing he's talking about uh, Rachel okay so Simeon and Judah are, are, are brothers they're blood brothers they have the same mother and Levi also Levi is where the uh, Levites came from, the servants of the temple. So Simeon and Judah were uh, related by blood. They were blood brothers. And so those tribes were related to each other uh, that way. So that's why they fought together. So what did the Lord do? He delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, as we see. They had victory. They had success. Because who delivered? The Lord. The Lord delivered. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. So they, they kept conquering. Killed 10,000 men. Then verses 8 through 20, which we read already. He had Judah's victories in the southern part. So Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. 
So this is where Jerusalem fell to Judah. Now, 400 years later, it would be conquered again in 2 Samuel. So until between this time and the time of David, 400 years had passed. So that's when Jerusalem became the city of David, when David was king. At this point in, in, in Judges, it, it did not. Okay? Because it fell back to the Jebusites. And we see that in verse 21. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So, <laughs> Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. But, guess what? Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. So one tribe defeats them and the other tribe didn't do, his, do their job of keeping the city conquered. Benjamin didn't do their job in holding down the fort basically. So then Judah went up against the Canaanites and Hebron. Now this is fascinating about the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities in the world. The city of Jerusalem is over 5,000 years old. It's an old city, isn't it? It's one of the oldest cities in the world. Isn't that something? That city is over 5,000 years old, and it's been occupied for those 5,000 years. Pretty much. Yep. You're right. That is still there. Yep. It's still there. So Judah went against Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. And then we see, of course, uh, Caleb giving his daughter to his nephew. And then she got a blessing. And he gave her the land in the south. And then we look at the city of Palms. Also. Okay, you got the city of Palms. So it says here. Verse 23, the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. And when the spies saw the man coming out of the city, he said, please show us the entrance to the city. So this is where they go. Uh, up into Bethel, the house of Joseph. So this is Joseph's house uh, this time. And the spies saw a man coming out this, out of that city. And of course they asked him where the city uh, was. And it says, verse 26, the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which it is named unto this day so this is the first part of the book now we see that one tribe Benjamin did not drive out inhabitants now we're going to see more this is where it goes down here verse 27 <laughs> spoiler alert verse 27 is where it goes down here 
incomplete victory. It started with Benjamin. And now we get down to where more and more tribes. Manasseh and Ephraim failed to drive out the inhabitants. So look at verse 27. However, so however is the same as but, just like with Benjamin, but Benjamin. However, same thing. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheon and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor, so forth and so on. Look at the end of verse 27. For the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. Now, at first, there were pockets of Canaanites, you know, that the tribes weren't able to push out. You know, little pockets in, in each tribe. But now, when you leave those pockets there, those, tri those tribes grow strong. They grow strong. Okay? So, they compromise with the Canaanites and put them under tribute. Now, this is what it says here. It came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but, and I'll explain what under tribute means, but did not completely drive them out. So they put them under tribute. That means that they forced them to pay taxes and different things like that. That's, that's, that's basically what that, what that means. Yeah, so, you know, they were in the land, but they put them to forced labor. That's what it means to, to pay, pay tribute, forced labor, paying taxes, different things like that. So basically slave labor. They, they forced them to be slaves, but they still dwelt in the land. That was the big problem. That was the big problem. It, the Christian life can be like that. We may not be strong enough in the Lord to deal with all the things that we see need changing in our life as Christians when we first are in Christ. But as we go on the Lord, we can't be slack in dealing with those areas of sin in our life. We have to continuously put sin to death. We cannot make a peace treaty with our sins. We must be determined to drive out sin. We can't make peace with our sins. We can't say, okay, this sin is not that big of a deal, in other words. Because, look, sin never lays dormant. Sin never lays dormant. Sin is dynamic. It's not static. In other words, it doesn't just stay in one place. If sin is not dealt with, it will always spread. And it'll spread like gangrene. It'll spread like cancer. We have to understand that about sin. Sin doesn't, it doesn't take a break. It doesn't take a rest. Sin always festers. Think about a sore. If you don't treat that sore, it's going to get worse. It's going to, it's going to fester. Sin is the same way. So, yeah, just to have the little Canaanites in there, 
doing slave labor for them wasn't enough. They were supposed to get rid of them, period. But they made the mistake. They committed the sin of letting them dwell in the land. Letting them hang around. And again, as I said, we're going to see this, the consequences of this throughout the rest of the book. <clears throat> we're supposed to drive them out. The theologian F.B. Meyer said this. He said, the one point that Israel should have borne in mind or had in mind was that they had no right there. That the Canaanites had no right there. The land was not theirs. It had become Israel's. And moreover, God was prepared to drive them out so that his people would have no fighting to do, but only to chase a flying foe. God was going to give them chase. God was going to chase them out. He told Israel, I was going to do what? Go before you. God was going to defeat the enemies for them, but guess what? They compromised. Look, and like I said this past Sunday, we cannot compromise with sin. We can't compromise with people who hate God. Once you compromise, all bets are off. All bets are off. If you compromise in one area, you're going to compromise everywhere else. That's how churches and denominations become apostate. They they compromise on certain certain areas of, of, of scripture. Think, uh, it's okay if we let women be pastors. That's not a big deal. When the Bible forbids that. The next thing you know, your church is sliding off into everything else because you compromise. Newsflash. Biblically, women are not supposed to be pastors. I don't care what church got a prophetess or uh, uh, an apostle or I don't I don't care. The Bible forbids women to be pastors. That's just the bottom line. Like, I, like we say, if you don't like it, take it up with God. It's in his Bible, his word. But when you compromise on that, guess what? You'll compromise on everything else. All bets off. If you can't hold to the standard of scripture in one area, you're going to not hold to it in other areas. Every time. Every time. Churches that have female pastors, they're weak in other areas of doctrine also. They are. All of them are. There's no church with a female pastor where they are not compromised in some other area of doctrine. Why? Because you've compromised in one area and there are going to be other areas so that shows us with this these Canaanites just hanging around Israel is compromising themselves by letting them stay and be slaves because 
They're still there. <laughs> okay. They're still dwelling with them. That's the point. They, they did not completely. No, the scripture says completely. They didn't completely drive them out. That's what a rub is. Zebulon does the same thing. Verse 30. Nor did Zebulon. So, all right. First we had Benjamin. That's one. So let's keep our count. Benjamin, it's says 12 tribes in all. You have uh, two tribes of Manasseh, have the tribes of, of Manasseh, and you got the other 11. So you got 12 tribes. Benjamin is one that's compromised. Manasseh is the next one. Now, Ephraim. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer or Gezer among them. So you got three tribes already. Now you got a fourth one. Zebulon. They compromise and accommodate the Canaanites. Nor did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. So in other words, forced labor, they became forced labor, they became slaves, but they were still among them. And the hits keep on coming. Asher. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or Alab and all those other cities. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites the inhabitants of the land nor did they drive them out mm -mm -mm. now back to Zebulon remember each tribe had his own responsibility and his own battles to fight. Each tribe was supposed to drive out the inhabitants. Each tribe, it was their responsibility to do that. So Zebulon first, they failed to take all that God had portioned to them. They thought they could make an incomplete obedience to God by making the Canaanites slaves. But the Canaanites still dwelt among them and they would eventually become a thorn in their side. And just because it didn't happen right away, they thought, you know, okay, it's not bad. We can, we can, we can wait a little bit. But it was certain that they were going to become a thorn in their side. So Asher also again didn't didn't take what God had appointed for them. So basically, each tribe who failed made it easier for the other tribe to fail. That's what happened. Now, Asher's situation was worse because, just listen to this, listen to the text again. Okay, with Zebulon, we read that the Canaanites dwelt among them in verse 30. With the Asherites, the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites. See the difference? 
they suffered worse because the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites as opposed to the Canaanites dwelling among them. So the Asherites, uh, uh, the, the tribe of Asher, put themselves in a worse situation. So the Asher, uh, you know, Asher completely failed to dislodge the Canaanites. Like the other tribe did it in part. Asher didn't do it at all, apparently. So they were in a worse situation. But the hits keep coming. The tribe of Nephtali, they compromised. It says, nor did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. So they the same thing as Asher. They dwelt among the Canaanites. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. Mm-mm-mm. Now, God did not intend on Israel to conquer the land easily because that wasn't going to happen. Or quickly. But he did call them still to conquer the land. They failed to trust in God, and that's why they didn't do it. The Lord is sovereign. He knew it wasn't going to be an easy battle for these tribes. But all they had to do was trust him. God's plans were for them to trust in him to lead them to conquer this land. <laughs> Israel is, is almost like Israel saying, well, if we can't get it the easy way, then we might as well not worry about it at all. And that's the way Christians can be sometimes. Just give up the Christian life and apostatize because they say, well, you know, they're not trusting the Lord. Say, man, I'm not, I don't want to deal with this anymore. If it's not going to happen easy for me, then I might as well not even live the Christian life. That's wrongheaded. That is wrongheaded. We ought to live this Christian life trusting in God, trusting in God to defeat our enemies. Like I said about Matthew, the eighth chapter, Christ is sovereign over our enemies. He's sovereign over uh, health and sickness. He's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over demons and demonic influences and, and demonic forces. There's, there, there's no power that Satan has that hasn't been crushed under Christ's feet. So we live this Christian life constantly, excuse me, trusting in God. Just as Israel as a nation, they are to live as God's covenant people trusting in him always that is how we ought to live the Christian life trusting in God trusting in his provision trusting in his promises trusting that he has defeated our enemies Israel didn't do that so the people of Nephilim again they lived among the Canaanites under their shadow and the hits keep coming. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. So now you have the tribe of Dan. They were run, they were run off by the Amorites. For they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Aijalon, and in Sha'albim. 
Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became great, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of was this Aquabim to Selah and upward. Man. You see the people of God being pushed around by their enemies. This should never be the case when the God's people are walking in the strength of the Lord, which they were not. That's why they were pushed around. What did we talk about this past Sunday? The full arm of God. That we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To stand in the evil day and have it done all to stand. We have the full arm of God. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the feet uh, of, of, of the gospel. We have the sword of the spirit. We have the shield of faith. God has equipped us to stand against the enemy. The enemy should not be pushing us around. Satan shouldn't be pushing us around. Our enemies in the flesh shouldn't be pushing us around. Why? Because we stand in the strength of the Lord. That's what I've been preaching about the last couple of weeks on Sunday. We stand in the strength of the Lord. What does Paul say? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When we are strong in, with God's strength, because our strength will fail, our strength will falter, our strength will grow weak. We stand in the strength of the Lord. And that's what Israel, that's what these tribes didn't do. That's what the children of Dan didn't do. It should never be the case when God's people are walking in the strength of the Lord. So it says, when the strength of the house of Joseph became great, they were put under tribute. So again, Joseph put the Amorites under tribute, but again, they were still in the land. So the Amorites had a boundary within the inheritance of Israel's people. That's why I said the boundary of the Amorites. The Amorites were not supposed to have any territory within the inheritance of God's people at all. It's not supposed to be the case. We are in the spiritual battle. We can't have a pacifist attitude. We don't make peace with the devil. We don't make peace with our enemies. We can't have the attitude, I will not harm you or your interests if you just leave me alone. Because that's not going to happen. Your enemy is not going to leave you alone. We can't have spiritual surrender as Christians. We cannot have spiritual surrender. So the tribes of Israel, they experience incomplete victory. They surrendered and they accommodated the in enemy. And what this should do, okay, Israel in this context, in this passage, they failed to subdue their enemy. They failed to conquer the enemy. They failed to experience complete 
victory. They surrendered and accommodated the enemy. But what should this point us to? This gospel truth. The complete and glorious victory of Christ on our behalf. Israel's victory in conquering the land was incomplete. Christ's victory on our behalf was complete. In John 20, when Jesus says it is finished, that meant that his work of redemption, his work of accomplishing our salvation, his work of doing all that God the Father has sent him to do, it was finished. That means it was complete. It was done. Christ secured our salvation. He secured our redemption. He secured uh, the, the debt of sin that we owed as he died as our substitute. So when he said it is finished, that was a cry of victory. Christ accomplished that. So when we think about Israel not fully conquering, surrendering, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not surrender. He achieved complete victory for us on our behalf. And there is nothing that is left incomplete in the victory that Christ won for us on the cross and through the resurrection. So we can see Israel's failings and say, man, they just, they were just knuckleheaded. They were just hardheaded. What in the world were they thinking? Well, they're fallen people. And sometimes in our life, we can compromise. We shouldn't. But sometimes we can compromise. But may God give us the strength to not do that. But even when we do, we have a Savior who did not compromise. Christ cut no corners in his work of redemption. He went fully and completely and was the total and complete and perfect sacrifice. As the scripture says, once for all. Christ died once for all. The just for the unjust. Christ is the only just, the only righteous. And he died in our place and completed a perfect sacrifice. He accomplished our victory over sin. Israel's conquering the land was incomplete. Christ conquering on our behalf was complete and total. It was total defeat of our enemy. Our greatest enemy is death. Remember that always. Last enemy, enemy that was defeated was death. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He took the sting away from the grave. O grave, where's your victory? O death, or death, where's your? O grave, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? Christ took away that sting when He rose from the dead. Our victory was accomplished. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for the victory that you accomplished. We see Israel's failings, and sometimes we can look down on them and. And say, Lord, what in the world were, were they thinking? But we have to look at ourselves also. 
Sometimes we compromise. Sometimes we we give in. Sometimes we give up. Lord, strengthen us to live this Christian life walking in your strength. Not in ours, because our strength is, is feeble. Our strength is weak. But Lord, your strength is strong. Lord, we see Israel's failures to, to, to not completely push out all the enemies, Lord. Give us the strength in our daily walk to put sin to death. To put it to death. To do it with your strength. We can't do it with our own. But to put sin to death with only the strength that you can give. Lord, until we meet on the Lord's day. May your grace and love be with us all. In Christ's name, amen.